Hi, I'm Trini. And I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that widens access to African history. We're also the co-authors of a book by the same name. You can find out more information about us on itsacontinent.com. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and appreciate the identity of each nation. And through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello and welcome back. It's been a while. A lot has happened since our <laughs> I don't know why we're like laughing already. Like, it's that we shouldn't really be laughing about have happened. Yeah, it's been. <laughs> we'll let the listeners figure out which ones. You guys could put um, two and two together. <laughs> yeah, we've been. Gosh, even thinking about it, the last episode and now, feels yeah. like forever. Gosh, it actually feels like a lifetime ago. But mm-hmm. yes, we are back. We are back stronger from COVID. And all other ailments <laughs> that may have been suffered during our break. No, but it's been really good. Like, yeah, it's been a really nice time off. Yeah. Not that we actually take, feels like we ever take any time off. Yeah. Um, it's been also nice taking the book out and stuff. And yeah, seeing, seeing it out and about. Yeah, and seeing your faces and people coming up. Like, honestly, it's been amazing like incredible just to see it out there and the response to it and stuff absolutely um if you are new to the podcast um yeah welcome we also have a book (laughs) which is what i noticed (laughs) in case you haven't noticed um which you can also get on hardback audiobook and ebook but honestly like we're really happy to come back because we just needed to i was gonna say we needed to chat but we We basically (laughs) we speak every day um so it wasn't a time off from us talking to each other (laughs) (laughs) yeah it actually got a lot but we've also got some exciting things coming up in october so yeah a couple of more events and stuff so make sure if you're not following us please make sure you're following us on social media on our website, which I will be updating, just reminding myself. (laughs) But yeah, welcome back. Welcome. Let's do this. Yeah, let's get straight into our African Pride. And this week's African Pride is going to Ahmed Salami. And his story on BBC Africa really, really made me smile. It was doing the rounds online and I was literally just sending it to all Nigerians in my contacts list. I wasn't like an auntie, don't you worry. So Ahmed forwarded many times. <laughs> Delete. You know the ones. Oh my gosh! I've I only saw it a couple of months ago. Right, my mum sent me something, and it then tells you how many people it's been forwarded to, yeah. and it was literally like hundreds of thousands. Have you ever had that? I just get the What's forwarded that? many times, and I'm like, okay, oh yeah, and you're just I like, don't need to be that wow. extra person. <laughs> it's a bit like when someone has 500 plus connections on LinkedIn. You're like, okay, don't need to add to that. No, I'm not gonna. <laughs> we step away. Why is that different to when someone has like more connections or like LinkedIn, not LinkedIn, Instagram Face- or Facebook? Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. not like that. You're like, where's the let limit? Why is the upper limit? Like, mm-hmm. so, so weird. Oh, but yeah. Go on, African Pride. African Pride. Let's hear it. So Ahmed was born with autism, cerebral palsy, and ADHD, and he didn't learn to speak until he was six years old, and he struggled with a speech impediment as well. So today he makes weekly videos on YouTube talking about his personal journey and giving a voice to the neurodivergent community within Nigeria because so often this community is actually shunned and disregarded um, and you can really see Ahmed's confidence and passion doing what he does. 
And also a special shout out to his mum because she is just the cutest. And I just love to see her supporting her son in this way. Like it's so rare mm. to see, especially within Nigerian communities, um, actually supporting him in this way. Um, and yeah, it's really, really a heart warmer. We'll share the video in the episode show notes in case you have not been one of those people where it's been forwarded many times to. Yeah, I was gonna say, I feel quite out of the loop, but <laughs> you have said you purely sent it to Nigerian, so yeah, well, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> so today's episode, we're picking up on a theme and it's been one that we've been wanting to look at for some time. And so have some of you, because we've actually had quite a number of requests every time we've asked for suggestions. So this week, we're going to be looking at the relationship between China and the African continent. A little bit jarring that we've like gone, it's a continent, and then we've gone, yeah, China we've... and Africa. <laughs> but we will be diving into some specific examples that are seen across the continent at a country level. And hey, with these themes, you still got to be, you know. Yeah. So yeah. evaluation and comparison. Mm. So we There are five like... seasons of individual episodes and countries. Let us, <laughs> <laughs> we're allowed to get away with a theme. Yeah. The current situation is that China is looking for resources for its growing consumption, whilst at the same time, African countries are looking for funds for development. What we're now seeing extensively across varying corners of Africa is Chinese state-owned firms building large-scale infrastructure in exchange for access to minerals and oil. Of course. So much so that in 2009, China became Africa's largest trading partner. And get this, in 2000, Sino-African trade was $10 billion. And just 14 years later... This grew to $220 billion. Damn, that is. <laughs> it's like the opposite okay. of the pound, isn't it? It's just all a bit. <clears throat> yeah, come the, we're not. I was trying to reserve my comments to, for the pound. But, just, um... we're, not, we're, not look, we're not looking at that. I'm just watching my savings disintegrate. I'm like, yeah, wondering whether Warwick can pay me in dollars these days. <laughs> just, do you have dollar options yeah yeah do you have dollar options because i think i'm not getting anything with this money (laughs) how did this happen and why is it that when someone needs mineral they think well let's go to africa is that not what you normally i mean that's what i think i feel like that's been the consistent narrative better go to africa yeah is china what we're trying to like see is is china looking to be in their words friends of africa or a new set of brutal colonizers. And China claim they have a blood brother relation as perceived victims of Western imperialism. <laughs> Friends of Africa. You were just wondering when, when they're saying that, like, oh yeah, we've created like friendship bracelets with. <laughs> but with your produce on my. Person. Yeah, it's been yours. Yeah, yeah. We can't make it without. Sorry. We will need to. We've used your jewels. We'll use your jewels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll use yours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When China opened diplomatically to the world in 1949, the People's Republic of China began supporting decolonization movements across Africa and the Pacific. Looking at the term third world, which is actually now used as a pejorative, its original definition was countries that weren't aligned to NATO, so US and their mates, or the Warsaw Pact at the time, the Soviet Union and their friends. So China saw this as an opportunity and in 1955 they wanted to become leaders of this new third world friendship group. So there was early support of pan-African socialism seen through the Great Uhuru Railway 
link in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania to Kapiri Mushi in Zambia, and China also supported newly independent African nations. They recognised Algeria's National Liberation Front and provided their government with arms. And we do have an episode on that, so I know we've been mm-hmm. off, but we can't help but plug our own. <laughs> hey, we, we're maintaining the same level of energy every season. Plug Look, yourself. Well, plug yeah. yourself. You've got yeah, to. we've been creating this content. We've got to be doing it. We've <laughs> got to be doing it. <laughs> this is how, as you can imagine, this is how we hype each other up. <laughs> They trained rebels against Portugal in Guinea-Bissau and provided guerrilla training and weapons in Mozambique's Frelimo independence movement. We also covered that in the book. Oh, yeah. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah. In case we haven't mentioned, we do have a book that is available um, to purchase. Just in case. In 2004, we began seeing China's relationship with African nations shift towards materialism. Whilst at the same time, and unlike Western colonisers, applying a hands-off approach to internal issues of the country they were exploiting. So the West sees this as threatening democracy, uh, particularly after China's Tiananmen Square cover-up. And they believe that China is prioritising economic development in African countries at the expense of civil progress. Angola went through a difficult time having fought a long war leading to independence from Portugal in 1975 then going on to fight an even longer one after independence until 2002. The country was on its knees, going to the International Monetary Fund and the Paris Club, which is basically a rich country club that alleviates debts from less well-off countries. Both these parties weren't forthcoming with help, but China offered a $2 billion loan to fund Angola's infrastructure. Someone offering two billion dollars, you're not really gonna. You're not gonna turn it away, are you? you? Especially if they don't like. You know what? We don't really care about anything else. We don't care about human rights records. Just you know, do you want the money? Do do you want the money? I mean, who am I to? Someone offered me a two billion. You know those like. Would you take two billion dollars to do to slap your? (laughs) 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 Yeah. Would you let this person punch you in the face? Yeah. I'm literally like, do you know what? At Some this rate, do I don't even need pay. two billion. I was yeah. going to say, like, I'm not going to lie, I'd probably do it for like five. 500 pounds. But pay me in dollars. Dollars. Yes. Yeah, 500 dollars. <laughs> These hypotheticals yeah, need to be in dollars now. We need to, need we need to be to in be dollars. Good. You cannot be, yeah, yeah. You can't, can't. be doing hypothetical in pounds because nah, cheap. You that. might as well not do it. Might as well be giving me Naira, mate. <laughs> <laughs> This has become a bit of a blueprint to Chinese-backed loans to African countries. Resourceful infrastructure, also known as R4I, is a type of investment contract where natural resources are given in exchange for national infrastructures, either resource to mine or oil fields, for example. Surprisingly, this isn't unusual and has happened in the past. So in 1958, rebrand merchants Japan provided India with a concessional loan to develop iron ore mining in Goa in exchange for 10 million tonnes of iron ore annually for the next decade. Japan also employed this method in China in 1978, financing modern plants, industrial technology and materials in exchange for China exporting crude oil and coal to Japan. By the end of 1978, China signed 74 contracts with Japan to finance infrastructure projects to be repaid in oil. That's what I'm saying, they learnt it from the greatest. They definitely did. This approach is now how China wanted to gain access to Africa's rich resources, 
through copying a colonizer that's not often heard of within the continent. The resource-rich country gives China rights to exploit minerals or hydrocarbons, oil, and in turn, China uses the mineral or hydrocarbon exports to pay for the cost of construction, meaning this doesn't cost them much to facilitate. It's a very economical form of, uh, of colonising, if I do say so myself. Or like perhaps neo-colonising as well, because it's like... Yeah, there's definitely... But I guess they're acting as a company because, you know, it's not actually too dissimilar to what a lot of uh, multinational companies do. No, definitely, because you're kind of saying like, well, we'll do your infrastructure thing. You then just have to give us what you have available to access. (laughs) Yeah, basically. And we'll exploit that. So you're not actually having to. It's not. There's no net loss. Yeah. Yeah, there's no loss. Passive income. Mm -hmm. But that is also sort of problematic, isn't it? Because how much of these minerals and how long will you have access? Like that can't be Mm -hmm. your main source. Like the economy has to be built up. But I guess it's sort of like a chicken and egg situation. Because you obviously need to then develop the infrastructure to really enable you then to really build your economic infrastructure like oh drums to be honest don't don't don't, don't. <laughs> never thought we'd see it described as drums <laughs> yeah <laughs> history funds <laughs> yeah this is something you don't want quasi quartang on to be honest oh i didn't even want i didn't want to bring up his name i just i really didn't <laughs> but i'll leave it in anyway it sounds like a ripoff but at the same time, a lack of infrastructure can have dire consequences for populations, with it being thought that Africa loses 2% of economic growth per capita because of inadequate infrastructure. Ultimately, Angola's cabinet approved the R4I with four infrastructure contracts approved in 2006 for a fibre optic network, health, social, energy and water improvements, coming to a total of $1.1 billion. Also, just thinking about it, right, the things that are being invested in, we say a lot of these countries gain independence. We don't say that it's, it's fact. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but only recently. And so if they're trying to catch up, mm. this is in a, way, in a way the quickest. Please, some economists, feel free. Don't come at me, but like share your insights because I'm not one. But mm. this sort of feels like the quickest way to speed up, to speed up that process so that you can reach, yeah, that the current state that a lot of these kind of western countries are at mm. is to get them to build the infrastructure you don't have to you know figure it all out and you know you can kind of do a copy and paste job but mm. obviously some things you don't want to paste to be honest geez well that's the um, problem because the, mm. we're using these western nations as a model which i don't really know if yeah the there's right also that whether that is the right thing to do because in terms of consumption and the environment if everybody yeah. behaved like the west we'd be in a much worse situation, particularly when it comes to climate. But I guess then it's also that element of, because these countries, we've said, you know, we're not trying to idolize, like, you mm. know, make it ideal- idealistic or whatever, mm. or that it would have been amazing. They probably would have had a different approach yeah. if they were allowed to really yeah. pursue just their own, yeah, you know, just be. Yeah, yeah. And so then we maybe would have had an alternative to mm-hmm. capitalism. Because at the end of the day, the systems we have in the moment and the blueprint we have is just based on... We, we just clearly mean. So then it's not working. <laughs> it's, not, it's not working. And so you sort of assume, and to, to be honest, that's a blind spot on my side, is like a kind of, in my head, I have to rethink and be like, no, this doesn't have to be the way it is. There mm. are alternatives. Mm-hmm. But what is that alternative? What Especially like? if you are... Mm 
like hundreds of years behind everybody. Mm. It's like it's through a no fault of one. your own, exactly. Yeah, it's like they yeah. have now decided that you are hundreds of years behind because they have put these sort of expectations. Um, mm. It's yeah, it's a little bit. It's it's a tough situation to be in. On the one hand, these projects opened job opportunities for the local population and Angola climbed to a lower middle-income country. However, Angola has now become the third largest supplier of oil to China, with not much in the way of revenue to show for it, compared to Russia and Saudi Arabia, who are the current top two suppliers. So, who's actually getting a slice of your pie? Not you. <laughs> Sorry, just, I, I thought you were going to end. I the pie anymore. <laughs> all I do is think of that person, and I, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Critique of China's activity on the continent is widespread. Some have said that Chinese economic domination in Africa is increasing the cost of some African economies and chipping away at the culture of certain countries. Senegalese business owners have complained of an increase in Chinese businesses. And African workers are facing poor treatment and pay. And there's an influx of Chinese workers taking away local jobs. Without sounding a bit Brexity, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah please leave that in <laughs> take that control <laughs> china began building east africa's first coal-fired power plant in 2016 bringing an influx of chinese workers to do so yet some has criticized this particularly with high youth unemployment and 40 percent of jobs going to workers from abroad this is the problem yeah well yeah that's, the, that's one of many problems but you can't the whole point of this, in my mind, is, right, we're giving you our, um, like, minerals, resources, whatever, provide us with the infrastructure, but really, you should also be, the skill set should remain from, with us, so that at least we have, because this is the thing, especially with oil, isn't it? Like, the extraction is done, but actually, in terms of actually the processing and all of that, You're not, like, yeah. we don't have that, you know, that infrastructure or setup or knowledge, so then it gets taken away again so we can That's never it. own a lot of these countries don't own the end-to-end -end process. process yeah so I feel like in the contract i really should be like a contract lawyer someone <laughs> listening to this like definitely not yeah. but like because actually that should be a part of this that you should be employing yeah people from the actual country itself this is the thing because how would it actually benefit the local community if you're just bringing your workers over and then you're then they'll all leave once they're done so yeah. it's not actually going to, it's not really bringing much benefit to the community. And then the country itself, as we see in Angola's case, is not actually gaining much, even though they are exporting huge amounts of oil to you. And they remain dependent on China because mm -hmm. you're building this infrastructure, you have the knowledge, you have the know-how. Well, we still need you guys to, to be there and, oh gosh, it's just annoying. No, it's, but that's the way it's set up. That's the way it's set up. And another issue as well is the name, so coal. So this is actually an example of China exporting a model that has caused environmental disasters and millions of premature deaths in China. So it's clearly not alleviating climate change. And in fact, China bans the construction of new coal plants across most of its country. And some are predicting that after 2030, there will be no new coal plants allowed to be built in China. So why do they think it's a good idea to build this in Kenya? Why, why is it OK to build it in Kenya? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and in 2010, African workers at a Chinese-owned Zambian mine protested over low wages. And over in the Republic of Congo, 
Chinese contracts are 30% cheaper than Western ones, which means that they're undercut, the local workers. Mm. And African workers have experienced worsening conditions with day-to-day hiring, which limited job security. You might turn up and they're like, nope. Insulting and racist managers and 12-hour working days, six days a week. Yeah. Right. A key issue with this type of labour is the lack of knowledge or skill transfer, as we've said before. So these workers are utterly dependent on Chinese-backed loans to build infrastructure at the expense of natural resources. Obviously, racism is another issue with China's involvement in Africa. Whilst it does seem that their intervention is purely for economic reasons, rather than a false moral need to civilise black people, (coughs) um, many hold views that place Africans at the bottom of the pile. Some Kenyans are wondering if their leaders have now welcomed an influx of powerful racist foreigners to shape the future of their country. Yikes for me, dog. A Kenyan newspaper, whilst reporting on a 300-mile Chinese-built railroad between Nairobi and Mombasa, described an atmosphere of neocolonialism for Kenyan railway workers under Chinese management. This railway is Kenya's largest infrastructure project since the country became independent from British rule in 1963. Some workers were subjected to demeaning punishment, whilst Kenyan engineers have been prevented from driving the train except when journalists are present. Of course, it's only... I mean, (laughs) it's a PR exercise. (laughs) It's like when they just find the one black person at an (laughs) organisation. So could you just come to the front, please? You're like, it's my first day. I'm like, I'm literally on the grad scheme. Do you see just the same face? You're like, wow, this person is really high up. No, they got... They are 21. Mm -mm. They've just rolled Mm -mm. off. (laughs) Honestly. A young Kenyan woman described how a Chinese manager slapped her Kenyan colleague over a minor mistake. Mr. Ocheng, an employee of a Chinese motorcycle business, recorded one of his boss's rants, who declared that Kenyans were like a monkey people. Are these the people Africa wants to take charge of their development? And is the African elite the only party to gain from these transactions? Yeah, like, these racist views are just, I mean, deplorable, to be honest. But it's the fact that that these are the people that are in charge of the development it doesn't really scream friends of africa to me no and also it's the fact that it's the audacity of saying these things in the actual continent itself like obviously it is completely against it regardless in any setting but to have the complete audacity to then be in that environment and actually feel the complete yeah comfortable confidence yeah yeah to say that and that there would be potentially I don't know kind of what happened in this situation, potentially no repercussions. No, exactly. Um, is, um, yeah, is interesting. Mm-hmm. And I also recommend you watch Racism for Sale by Renako Selina. So she did an incredible job of investigating the racist videos which are popular across Chinese social media. And the main perpetrator of this was a Chinese worker who was sent out to Malawi to work, but actually ended up taking advantage of local children. So these attitudes are really, really entrenched. Ultimately, whilst some Africans view China's role positively, welcoming the minimal strings attached approach, they see China as a country that also went through a development phase with altruistic motives. And yes, you know, these benefits are tangible with visible results. 
jobs, improvements to roads, rails and bridges. However, labour unions, civil society groups and other segments of African societies criticise Chinese businesses because of the poor working conditions, the unsustainable environmental practices and job displacement. So China arguably negotiates deals which take advantage of African government's weaknesses, which then enables corruption further. And without sounding like a right-wing populist, the African elite are rarely on the side of ordinary people because if it's lining people's pockets at the top of society, then, I mean, I don't want to bring it back to this story again. Yes, I- <laughs> But I, I, it's just a common theme throughout the world. We've just noticed, like, if people in charge are benefiting, they're like, oh, I have a nice, shiny new, yeah. shiny new bits and pieces in my city. Uh, but they don't really care so much that some of the poorest in society are having to work terrible wages and long hours for it with a sprinkle of racism as well which is just not acceptable to be honest and at the end of the day the idea of exporting raw ideas out of Africa for your country's gain is a line straight out of the colonizer handbook except that China were only about 200 years late right mm-hmm. we've we started as we always will do <laughs> with like another one that just makes you yeah like honestly it's one of those that I guess we'll see how it progresses, right? And it's still where, progressing, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what it will look like. This is definitely a moving situation and we'll see what it leads to in like 10, 20 years time. I'm making it seem like though in 10, 20 years time, we'll do an episode. We're like, no, remember. Yeah. <laughs> We'd love to chat to someone who perhaps has an experience of working within this capacity i think that would be quite interesting definitely that'll be really interesting Mm, mm, for sure i don't know i don't want to say i'm not getting positivity because you have said there are positive results of this in terms of like it is making improvements to infrastructure we can see it but it is colonization has you know made us weary and very (laughs) of these sorts of investments so what more can yeah what, what will that look like in 10 20 years so i think that's kind of my It'll main concern with it but, but yeah, interesting to see but yeah here we are with china so yes. first one we're back on it we remembered how to do it again yeah so that is the first episode of season six uh sounds season wild season six. six honestly really excited to be back it's gonna be an exciting we always say this but honestly it's gonna be an exciting season we're Very excited even though my voice at the moment doesn't <laughs> No, I really can't. need to work. No, we really are. We really are excited. So yeah, we hope you enjoyed this first episode and we will see you in two weeks' time. See you in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.